0: Hello and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast, episode 21. This is Adam coming to you from Austin, Texas. And on this episode, I let you, the listeners, the fans, pick the movies that I will be discussing. And I got a interesting mix of movie suggestions. I got... Some specific movie titles. I got some just kind of general themes. I got some very, very specific themes. But I can only really narrow it down to a small handful. Because otherwise we'd be sitting here all night long. And I don't want to sit here all night long. I'm already already had a glass of wine. I got some sweet and sassy HEB trail mix. Ate some of that. And now I'm drinking uh, coffee with sugar, which is something I never do. And milk. It's actually very good. <laughs> I'm just um, fighting to stay conscious. Conscience? Conscience. Conscious. Conscious. That's what I meant to say. Obviously, I'm fighting to, finding to stay conscious. Conscious. Why can't I say that word right now? Probably because I'm half awake. Because I was literally asleep no more than 20 minutes ago, having nightmares. I've been having awesome nightmares lately. I had one recently where. Well there's a there was a lot of stuff going on, but the most vivid specific thing I can remember is a pit bull, a large pit bull uh, that was hung upside down by its feet from a tree, and it was alive. And <laughs> Okay, this sounds stupid, but in my end of dream, it's absolutely horrifying. Pit bull hanging upside down by its feet from a tree. And hanging next to sort of surrounding on the same tree, hanging upside down, were bats the size of a pit bull. And they were... Uh, they were like... They looked like... Their faces looked like critters. They had like sharp teeth. And they had like... Like... Like a fucking... Big, glossy eyes that didn't blink. And their mouths were just like... Like they were doing... Like, like Beavis. It was like... Yeah. Yeah. But it was... They were fucking huge. They were giant fucking bats. And they were hanging upside down. And they were about to eat this fucking dog. And I don't know what I was doing in this wooded area. I was just walking through or something in my dream. And then I came across this and, and then, uh, then they slowly just started eating the fucking dog alive. And since they're hanging upside down next to the dog, the bats they could only really like, kind of, reach over and just bite whatever was there. So like the dog's face and neck and ears. It was, it was fucked up. Uh, that's just one. That's just one of several just absolutely horrific dreams I've been having lately. So, speaking of horrific, let's get into the, some of these fan movies that were picked for this episode. First of all, I'd like to give a special thanks to the contributors of this episode. I'd like to thank Katie for uh, recommending Killer Sofa. I'd like to thank Mr. Josh Garza out in San Francisco for suggesting that I do an obscure superhero movie. And uh, and that obscure superhero movie is going to be 1994's Fantastic Four. And we'll get into why that's obscure in a minute. And last but certainly not least, uh, I'd like to thank Gigi for picking the movie Teeth. And that was a very good pick. So let's get into it. Uh, Before we get into it, I need to uh, address an observation that I've noticed recently. And it was one of those things where you hear people talk about unconscious bias. You hear about... People's, people being prejudiced but not realizing that they're being actively prejudiced. And I had a moment like that recently. I, I'm in Austin, Texas. I have to drive frequently through town. I have to drive on the 35 fairly often. All times, day and night. So there's something I've noticed. On the road, I've noticed that there is a high percentage of really bad drivers in Austin. And mo- I mean, 99% of these bad drivers are women. Now, I don't feel like. <laughs> I noticed that I had this, I I, I noticed this and I thought to myself, am I just being completely sexist or is there some truth to this? Am I having some sort of just anecdotal bullshit fucking thoughts or is there something to how bad women drivers are in Austin. And I, re- I I really sat down and thought about it. I thought, okay, I used to live in California, and most bad driving in California, it's different than in Texas. Bad driving in California is usually people being willfully uh, negligent Of traffic laws, speeding, uh, racing. That's a big thing. People. And by racing, I don't mean like you're driving fast and then some other guys pulling up, you know, next to you while you're driving, trying to drive faster than you. And no, no, I mean like in the Bay area, people will literally like groups of (laughs) Groups will stop traffic on the freeway like a quarter mile stretch of freeway and have Fast and the Furious car races on the freeway during the day and night. You know, that's that's I think we can consider that uh, premeditated and deliberate. And you would have what's called sideshows. Sideshows are where a group of motorists, let's call them, a group of motorists would occupy a four-way intersection and spin donuts in their car in the middle of the, uh, in the middle of the intersection. And people would gather around and, They'd have a little party and they would, and they would, this would be a a thing that happens. And it's not unusual in California. It's not unusual in the Bay Area, but those type of things don't really happen out here. Out here, people are, they're not, they don't drive necessarily maliciously. They're just there are bad drivers in the way that you wouldn't let somebody, you wouldn't let somebody with schizophrenia who has sustained long and repeated uh, blows to the head and has had concussion after concussion, who's under the care of a doctor on antipsychotics and also nursing and alcohol addiction get behind the wheel of a car because that's obviously very dangerous. Now imagine a person who is like this and they're sober, but they have all they exhibit all the signs of head trauma and uh, and schizophrenia. And perhaps they have some sort of nearsightedness, but they don't wear corrective lenses or there's a lot of that in Austin. And most of them are women like they drive so badly. For instance, they'll cross multiple lanes of traffic without signaling. They will, This is very common. They will maintain the same rate of speed coming off of the freeway and onto regular streets. So let's say you're going 70. You exit the freeway and now you're just on regular surface roads where the speed limit is 35. But you're still going 70. And you're on your phone and drinking a Starbucks out of a straw. You know, that that's what's going on in Austin. And when I look at these people, every once in a while, it's a guy. And in fact, a lot of the times I think it's a guy. But, what you, but almost every single instance, it's a woman. And I think women here have this... They feel safe inside of their automobile. And that gives them license to drive like fucking assholes. I'm fucking sick of it. Okay. And it ends today. The next dumb bitch who gets in my fucking way, I'm going to run her off the road. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Long story short, I had this thought that women are bad drivers. And then I kind of checked myself. I was like, well, is that a fair thing to think? Or are you being prejudiced? And then I thought about it. And then I really, I thought about every instance where something like that would happen. and And every time it's a woman. And I was like, well, how about I research this? Because there's no way... There's no way that women are collectively worse drivers than men. Men are pretty fucking reckless. But um, the answers may shock you. Uh, I got this from the internet. (laughs) I'm just going to read this. It says, uh, this article is called Reasons for Gender Differences in... Accident rates. There are several reasons why men cause more accidents than women. Since men drive more miles each year, they are likelier to be involved in accidents. Men are also likelier to engage in risky behaviors while they drive, including driving under the influence of alcohol, failing to use safety belts, and breaking traffic laws such as speed limits. Mm Mm-hmm. For example, in 2010, men were arrested for 4 out of every 5 DUIs that were charged in the U.S. The problem is especially pronounced among men ages 21 to 34. While this group only makes up 11% of the adult population, it also accounts for 32% of all DUIs in the U.S. Men are also likelier to drive while they are drowsy, according to the data from the National Sleep Foundation. According to the data that the organization has gathered about drowsy driving, 56% of men reported that they have driven while drowsy versus 45% of women. CBS News reports that men are also much likelier than women to be cited for reckless driving. According to that study, men have a 3.1% greater chance of being ticketed for reckless driving than women. So thus far, I think that maybe my observations are isolated incidences where, like, someone dangerously cut me off or was coming off of a um you know, somebody was merging onto the freeway and almost ran into me or things like that, or stopped suddenly in front of me, things like that. And then you see that it's a woman on her phone. You see a lot of people on their phones around here. And it's, I mean, it's, I mean, they have signs and billboards and shits on the side of the road saying to stay off your fucking phone. They're like, it's a problem here as it is for both men and women. But let me continue. While women may be less likely to engage in risky driving behaviors and drive fewer miles than men each year, there are several reasons why they have a slightly higher risk of accidents for each mile driven in a year than men. Since they drive fewer miles, they have less experience with navigating the dangers of the roads. Women also tend to be shorter than men, and they may have more trouble seeing oncoming vehicles when they are completing turns because of visual obstacles. Previously, there was a larger gap between the accident risks among younger drivers. However, that gap has been closing as more girls are driving while they are distracted by their cell phones. A study by the Insurance Journal Found that females of all ages are much likelier to use their cell phones while they drive than men. So, as you can see, my perfect observation skills have proved correct again. So, ladies, get off the road, take an Uber preferably driven by a man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about movies, shall we? So the first movie, Killer Sofa, recommended by listener Katie, is This movie is this movie is a nightmare. And not in like a fun way. It's more of a nightmare in watching human sized bats eat a dog in front of you while you're paralyzed in nightmarish fear. Um, it took me four watches to get through this movie. First time I watched it, I got halfway through I fell asleep. I tried to watch it a second time and I fell asleep again. <laughs> and then I, I tried to watch it a third time and I got talked into watching something else. <laughs> uh, yeah. Somebody came in the room and said, like, Hey, do you want to watch uh?" Was, I don't even remember what the other thing was. I was like, hey, do you want to watch this thing? I was like, sure. So I turned off Killer Sofa. And then the fourth time was The Charm. I realized I have to fucking finish this movie. Come hell or high water, I have to finish this fucking movie. And I finally finished it. Now, I will start off with positives about Killer Sofa. So, uh, Killer Sofa, a 2019 film. So, I'm sure it got a lot of, you know, a lot of video on demand views during 2020, I would imagine, as it was released on October 1st of 2019. With... With a name like Killer Sofa, and if you see the front cover of this of this uh, film, it's it would suggest that the film is going to be very campy. It's going to be very low brow. It it's going to be a cheap non musical knockoff of Little Shop of Horrors, except it's a sofa. You know, something in that range, you know? Or sort of a poorly written Christine or something. Um actually it is kind of kind of a a poorly written Christine. Christine, of course, was a car, and in this movie it's a uh A sofa. It's actually not a sofa at all. The movie is called Killer Sofa, but it's actually a recliner. The initial title of the film was to be My Lover, My Lazy Boy. But out of fear of being sued by the Lazy Boy Company, Killer Sofa was decided upon and it is in fact a recliner but i think killer sofa is probably sounds better than killer recliner i will say that uh, give even though it has a goofy title everything in the movie is played totally straight there's no wacky jokes or anything like that there's there's everything is totally everyone's playing it straight and I commend the film for doing that I was kind of worried it was going to be sort of I don't know like a bad trauma knockoff or something like I thought it was going to be horror like that level of campy and it wasn't so so I, I, I give Killer Sofa props for that. But I remind you, it took me four watches to get through this movie because I was so bored. Um, it's not as boring as The Tragedy of Macbeth. That was a case of a very well-made movie that was just boring very boring also. <laughs> so the, the story to kill ke- the, the story itself is there's, there's a certain amount of, you know, thought was put into the story. So, I mean, I will give the movie props for that. They, you have to set up uh when you, when you set up a monster in a movie, like a like a Freddy Krueger or the Leprechaun or something like that. You, you have to know, to some extent, the creature's origin. You have to understand how the creature kills and how you could use its powers against the monster to defeat the monster. So they went to the trouble of doing that and like setting up a backstory for the monster, for the recliner. And I appreciate that because I do watch a lot of horror movies. So, and you know what? I think I'm going to do some more horror movies in the near future. I think there's been a serious deficiency of horror movies on this show and I'm going to rectify that in the near future, okay? Deal? Deal. <laughs> Basically, Killer Sofa is about this, this thing called a Dibbic, which is essentially like a spirit that can possess something, some, like the Exorcist or something like that. Or any of those other movies. Where people are possessed by things. And. This. Dybbuk. Is. Was a person. And now their soul. Is stuck inside this. Sofa. This recliner. And. It has certain rules. It's able to. It has the ability to jump from body. Like. To another body, kind of like Chucky has the ability to. Um, but it's basically the 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 recliner is possessed by an evil spirit. That's what's going on. It's using the recline. It's stuck inside of the body of the recliner, which is an inanimate object. You would think like it could. It, w- it would be able to move from inanimate object to inanimate object at will, but it it, re- it doesn't really. So the main character Francesca, who is an attractive woman, but is portrayed like this irresistible creature that everyone is sprung on immediately. After laying eyes on her. so its I don't know, it's weird. And they set that up so that the killer sofa can get jealous and murder everyone who gets close to Francesca. That's basically why they set that up. And Francesca becomes... She, she, she somehow gets the recliner in her apartment and it starts murdering people and sometimes the murders are really funny like the there there is a scene where the recliner was throwing someone over a balcony and Francesca's friends saw the recliner do it and the recliner realized it was being washed and turned and looked at her and the recliner itself has these two goofy buttons on it that look like eyes and the face is just constantly has this grimace to it like has a face has a little face <laughs> But for the most part, uh, the killer racks up uh, a bunch of deaths and there's this story where there's the souls of these two people who are evil, I guess. And one of them is trying to get into the body of Francesca and the other one needs a basically a human male host. It's these people for, who are from another time they're from like the Victorian era, era or something like that. But they, the, this, the recliner eventually possesses the body of this police investigator guy who's been investigating all these strange murders that have been happening. So the recliner is able to jump bodies. Finally, the spirit of the guy's wife is now inside Francesca, and now they're together um, living in contemporary New Zealand. <laughs> That's basically the end. I basically spoiled the entire thing, but in terms of, if, like, if you want to watch a, 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 like a silly horror movie where you'll probably get a couple of chuckles out of it and... Enjoy, kind of turn your brain off and enjoy the low budgetness of it. Killer Sofa fills that order very well. It's not amazing. It's, it's, it's not the worst horror movie ever. You know, if you just want to watch a silly movie and it's good with a group, watch it with a group. It's, uh, I think it would be more fun that way. Because some horror movies are good to watch alone. Some are good with a group. Like Scream movies are good with a group. Except Scream 5. Scream 5 is terrible. If you want to watch something alone, watch uh, Exorcist 3 or watch Hellraiser 3. (laughs) Watch Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Pretty much the third entry in any major horror franchise, I think, would be... You can watch alone. Anyways. I mean, do I recommend Killer Sofa? Not really. Not really. But I know that there's people out there who will watch really bad, low-budget horror movies. Like, I... I get it. And I understand there's a lot of them and people obviously watch them. You know, you go through whatever. I don't, I don't know if they would be on Netflix. Definitely on like voodoo or Amazon. You'd find like all those sort of bullshit rip-off movies, like, like giant Gila monster versus, you know, Sh- Sh- shark, shark uh, dog, (laughs) some shit, you know, octopus spider versus anaconda robots, you know, those movies, Somebody's watching those and people are probably watching them because they're bad. So I understand wanting to watch bad horror movies and I don't fault people for that because I'm sure I watch a lot of shit that, People find stupid, like uh when I did the the episode where I recommended I was a teen teenage zombie like people hate that movie, people think the movie's stupid and poorly made and and it is a low it's like a no budget movie, but I like I was a teenage zombie you know there's nothing I can do about that so On this show, it's okay to agree to disagree, okay? I'm not saying that my opinions are correct. They're correct for me, but you may not agree. So That's me extending the olive branch. Especially all you women out there who I said, you don't know how to drive. (laughs) Oh my God. I bet a lot of women would say that women... Are um, are more likely to fucking uh, cause an accident. Uh, also, I, I would I would I'd bet money on that. So that was Killer Sofa, and yes, this next movie is recommended by Mister Josh Garza. He uh, lives out in San Francisco Bay Area. He used to be the owner. Of a absolutely fantastic gym called SF Iron that has unfortunately, because of the uh, pandemic shutdown in California, uh, SF Iron is no longer in business, but uh, Josh is still out there doing what he does best. And that's strength coach extraordinaire. And if you if you need a uh any kind of virtual uh, strength coaching and uh or programming, you can uh, get a hold of Mr. Garza at Josh Garza. That's G-A-R-Z-A Strength.com. Josh Garza Strength dot com. Uh yeah, he's he's pretty damn legit and he's a very, very cool guy. And he's a uh the uh, accomplished flamenco guitar player as well. <laughs> the guy does everything. Well, Mr. Josh recommended that I do an obscure superhero movie. And there are quite a few obscure superhero movies that aren't directly tied to Marvel or... DC, and I decided to go with 1994's Fantastic Four, The Fantastic Four, and this movie has a very interesting story, it was a movie that was completely, I mean it was cast, it was shot, it had special effects, It, it it was a movie, it was a very low budget movie a it was the entire movie was made for 1 million dollars which in movie terms is nothing especially for a superhero movie i mean 1 million dollars nowadays like that that won't even pay for your headlining like star actor to even be in the fucking movie like chris hemsworth makes way more than a million dollars to be in like fucking Thor Ragnarok or whatever, you know, way more. And these people made an entire movie for $1 million. So that alone was quite the feat. And the Fantastic Four was directed by a guy named Oli Sassone. And it was produced by legendary Roger Corman. And Roger Corman is, my God, I guess I would say a low-budget film director. And he is known as the Pope of Pop Cinema. And really independent films. He also has a book called How I Made A Hundred Movies in Hollywood and Never Lost a Dime. <laughs> and he's co-founder of New World Pictures. And if you ever if you ever saw the logo of New World Pictures in your you know, over the age of thirty, you might recognize it. Like, oh yeah, I remember. I remember seeing that that logo in the beginning of a few movies growing up. And he's one of those guys who, a lot of he's been around forever. The dude's ninety five. He's old as fuck. And if you ever see an interview with him, he's very lucid. He's 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 with it. He's sharp. He launched so many. Careers—it's kind of crazy. He's lost. He's launched careers of filmmakers who have had long careers and essentially retired from directing. That's how long he's been around, uh, such as Martin Scorsese and Jonathan Demme, uh, James Cameron, Francis Ford Coppola, Ron Howard, Peter Bogdanovich, uh, Jack Nicholson, Dennis Hopper. You know, the very long list, he's, he's just one of those guys that churned out all these sort of geniuses, all these sort of Hollywood geniuses and of filmmakers and actors. It's, it's kind of crazy. And I believe he, Roger Corman's been making movies since the fifties like pre nineteen fifty five i mean i i i think i think he's been making movies since nineteen fifty four let's see my mother was is sixty seven so she was born in fifty five so he's he's been making movies since before my mother was born that's fucking crazy anyway <laughs> so basically Roger Corman's company was tasked with basically the people who own the rights to the fantastic four needed to make a movie in order to retain the rights to the fantastic four. And they needed to kind of do it in a hurry and they needed to kind of do it on the cheap. So they thought who is the most qualified person to do a to squeeze every 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 ounce of of, of usefulness out of a million dollars, and put it on screen, and then Roger Corman's name came up. They're so like, we need a movie that's made fast, and it needs to look decent, and this is you have a very limited budget, so this the entire movie was made. It's a very basic. It's 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 like a if you if you if you haven't seen it it's like a mighty an episode of mighty morphin power rangers level budget you know it looks good enough where they had decent cameras and people built sets and costumes and they hired people who could act but it was but at the same time it felt a little cheap <laughs> but they i mean They really made the most out of every dollar that they had. And a documentary about the making of this film came out called Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four, which is a mouthful. But uh, it was made in 2015. And Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four is a really good documentary it's got, it has the entire cast in it. It has everyone who's involved with the movie. And the whole, the whole thing about the movie is once they made it, the filmmakers, the actors were told after the movie was done that this movie, there was no intention of releasing this film. No one's ever going to see it. That people who owned the rights to the Fantastic Four needed to put out something in order to legally retain the rights to it, and this was devastating. It was it, it, cr- it was crushing to all the actors, the director, the producers, except Roger Corman. Roger Corman knew what the fuck was going on. <laughs> you know, it, somebody was like somebody gave him a task and he just knocked it out. You know, it was no big thing to him. But it meant a lot to the actors. It meant a lot to the people who were making the movie. And when they found out that they went through all this trouble, and they put all this blood, sweat, and tears into making this movie, and then they found out that this movie is never going to go to theaters. It's never going to go to video. It's not going anywhere. No one's ever going to see it. It was devastating to these people. Now, I will say, having done some research about this movie the Fantastic Four, that is. And doing a little... Doc- uh, and the documentary. Um, The documentary would have you believe that... Everyone on... In the production of this movie was completely fucked over. That they were... Everyone believed that they were making a movie that was going to be released into theaters. And... It was going to help launch people's careers and yada, yada, yada. And they were, they were stabbed in the back. They were betrayed. And that's from what I've researched, that is not necessarily the case. There were so many people in the, in the chain that knew that this movie, this is what I think happened based on what I've looked at. Okay this movie was initially going to be released. They were going to release it. It was being made. People put time and effort into making the fucking thing. And it was going to, I mean, cause trailers of it were put into some of uh, Corman's other movies, like on, on video. And there's records of that. And there's, there was should, There was uh, premieres of the trailer at like conventions and stuff like that. So there the the intention of releasing the film was real. But at some point, people who knew that they spent a million dollars to secure the rights to owning the Fantastic Four film and being able to make more Fantastic Four uh, films in the future, they thought there was a thought going on that if they make this low budget version, it would somehow taint future Fantastic Four films that had higher budgets and had very famous actors in it. And it would sort of cheapen what those movies could be. If there's sort of this low budget Fantastic Four movie, sort of like looming in the background. So, The decision was made to completely shelve the movie so that once the rights to the movie were secured, they could proceed on moving forward. It basically would buy him time to build a bigger budget, get a a A-list cast and make a multi-million dollar huge blockbuster fucking Fantastic Four movie that's what really happened. And the doc, I mean, I def like the documentary, the people in the documentary are not wrong. Like they, the people who made the movie really thought the movie was going to get put out in theaters and it would help their careers. And I mean, they put the movie together in like two months. Like they, 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 you know, the costume for the fucking thing, you know, there's, (laughs) they had to, you know, and, Dr. Doom and all the sets and all this shit like they had to build all this stuff and a lot of it's like the special effects are kind of cheap but it's like what do you expect for a million dollars but it says but there's a lot of heart put into it and I I'll I will give a movie a huge benefit of the doubt if I can I can see that if I could see that there was heart behind a movie and people gave a shit like I that I that is noticeable on screen. Like, I can just tell that it was made by people who cared, even though they didn't have a ton of resources. Um, I was a teenage zombie, for instance. <laughs> that movie had, like, no budget, but the guys who made it really gave a shit. Like, they, they wanted it to be as good as they could possibly... as As good as it could be, given their limited amount of skill and talent and money and resources. You know, mm-hmm. so... In the movies, I mean, <laughs> personally, I think the you know nineteen ninety four's The Fantastic Four is as good, if not better. I kind of lean towards better than two thousand five's Fantastic Four with Jessica Alba with with blonde hair and blue eyes I'm like they couldn't just they couldn't just cast a blonde white woman they had to white face Jessica Alba <laughs> I don't know um I think it's I think Fantastic 4 Rise of the Silver Surfer which was 2007 I think that movie had more potential because the Silver Surfer is fucking awesome, and uh, Silver Surfer was sort of the—he's under the power of Galactus, and everyone was really stoked. Um, at least all the fucking comic book nerds that I know was, you know, really stoked to see Galactus in a movie. But Galactus ended up being like this, this space fart cloud floating through the universe. Cause Galactus is this this dude wearing fucking like Thanos armor with a giant absurd purple helmet, you know? And I don't know if they thought that would look too ridiculous or campy or whatever, but it's like, just make the fucking Galactus helmet, put it on an actor's head and (laughs) fucking film it. Cause that's what people want to see. You already have fucking, what's his face? Michael Chiklis, is that his name? The fucking guy from The Shield? You already have that fucking guy in a rubber rock monster costume. You can't just have normal Galactus. The the, the Silver Surfer in that movie actually looks pretty cool, too. But um, in terms of just, like, a movie, I don't think it's necessarily any better than 94's Fantastic Four. Also 90 The Fantastic Four from 94 feels like a TV show. Feels like a low budget television show, which I kind of enjoy because I enjoy 90s TV, 80s TV. You know, even if it feels a little low budget, it's like they're able to create enough of a of a, a reality, enough of a psychodrama <laughs> where you sort of you allow yourself to buy into it. I mean, if anyone who's had to grow up with their mom or their aunt or babysitters who watch soap operas, like, soap operas are fake as fuck, you know? People walking around, you can, like, hear their feet echoing in the floors and shit, and it just doesn't, nothing, they never go outside, ever. They're always inside, because it's just sets, you know? They never go outside, and you never see them in a car or anything like that. But you, you convince yourself that, yes, this is... These are real people having the most dramatic lives ever. You know, that's... That's... Uh, well, well, I'm a big fan of... And I know I bring this up all the time. I'm a big fan of the 80s Twilight Zone television show. It's fucking fantastic. And it's pre-Tells from the Crypt, which I also love. But Tells from the Crypt had a really awesome budget and it was on HBO so they can get away with more, more adult R rated shit, you know, and, and get really good actors and they had, but they had a budget, but twilight zone from the eighties was almost on like a soap opera level, but the kind of stories they had were fucking weird and, like it was gripping. It was it was good. Um, and also, if you're a Tales from the Crypt fan, uh, check out the uh, early 1990s Outer Limits television show. The Outer Limits has been around forever. It's kind of like the Twilight Zone. It's sort of like it's basically the Twilight Zone. That's what the Outer Limits is. It's basically another twilight zone show and but the one from the 90s is pretty good it has awesome budget and good actors and shit like that and it's fun to watch you know like nowadays and i'm not saying this is a bad thing but nowadays tv shows are look like movies and there, i mean there's nothing wrong with that there's lots of like stuff on netflix and shit that are you know, hulu and whatever that have like shows that are great But they're, they, they look like, they look and feel like movies. But I don't know. Sometimes you just want something that feels like a television show. Like something where the story doesn't stretch over, you know, 15 episodes or some shit. It's like, or an entire season. You know, you uh, you want something that's like contained within one episode. Like nothing is going to, like nothing in the story that you're watching in any episode is going to leak into another episode. It's, it's just contained and tells from the crypt has that Twilight zone has that. So if you're in, if you're into that sort of thing, that type of television show feel, yeah, totally check out 1980s, uh, twilight zone and, uh, uh, the 1990s outer limits. It's fucking good shit. That's what this fantastic four movie feels like to me. It feels like a TV show, but Mm, yeah, and, and I think it's better than the fucking 2015 Fantastic Four, or as it says on the poster, Fan-Four-Stick 4 it Actually, it just says Fan-Four-Stick, starring uh, the guy from Creed and the guy from Whiplash. I don't recommend any either of those movies either. <laughs> I watched Creed during the during 2020. I was up in the mountains in the woods, outside of Yosemite National Park, and I watched a ton of movies. And I watched Creed, and I was like, kind of stoked to see it because I like the Rocky movies. And I watched it, and I was like, this is kind of bad. (laughs) Like, it's just not believable. And I don't really care about anybody. The only person I cared about was Rocky, <laughs> so, and he wasn't even fighting. So I don't know. And the what was it? Whiplash. Whiplash was also, I think, made for a very low budget as well. But I, I started watching that because, you know, it had fucking Juno's dad in it. You know, the guy who's a uh, Schillinger from Oz. <laughs> I saw that he was in it. I was like, Oh yeah. He's like yelling at people and shit. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll watch that. And then I started watching whiplash and I was like, I just, I just fucking turned it off. I was just like, I'm just not into it. I don't find jazz drumming to be at the same level of like GI Jane or some shit. I just don't like, I've known drummers. And none of none of them. I don't think any of them could relate to the story of Whiplash. I could be wrong, but what the fuck do I know? I don't play drums. Let's see. And obviously, in, in terms, of, the story is very straightforward. It's the Fantastic Four story. They, Reed Richards and Victor Von Doom are friends. A medical experiment gone awry supposedly kills Victor Vaughn doom, but he ends up coming back as Dr. Doom and it fast forward a bunch of years. And and you know what, when you, it basic, the fantastic four is a good example of like Reed Richards and Dr. Doom. They're like not good scientists. They're like quite bad. Like they fuck up constantly and people's lives are horribly affected by it. (laughs) Like they're, they're, they're sort of a disgrace to, uh, you know, the educational system and astrophysics and space travel. <laughs> but, um, but the movie sort of covers up all those flaws really. Cause everyone's so like, like G golly, like everyone's so positive in the, in the movie where you just kind of look past how you kind of look past people's shortcomings. <laughs> you know, you, it's, it's, it's a good origin story. You you find out how they become the Fantastic Four. They establish Dr. Doom, they establish Dr. Doom tries to kill them and then they have to, you know, f- track down Dr. Doom and beat him up and then Dr. Doom basically escapes at the end and laughs maniacally. And it's the end, you know. It's it's very straightforward. I mean, it's basically like... It's kind of like the 60s Batman television show in a way. I I don't know. Maybe that's why I I actually enjoy the movie. Because I enjoy the campiness to it. Some people look back at the fucking Batman and Robin fucking movie. You know, where Arnold Schwarzenegger's... Mr. Freeze and that shit. People are nostalgic for that movie. That movie's campy as fuck. But I get why people kind of look back on it it and enjoy how... Camping and ridiculous it is you know what i mean i i get it i mean people think killer sofa is great <laughs> you know and i'm it's like i get it i get it people enjoy camping nonsense and i enjoy fantastic four from 1994 and i'm sure people like the fantastic four fucking movies you know the other ones that came out but i mean me personally they just seem like bloated you know you know, tens of millions of dollars just blown on, I don't know, just a loud, noisy, dumb movie, which there's, that's most movies, you know. I mean, for every one big, dumb movie that is made, I think people, like, it, a movie could, you probably could have made two or three decent movies out of every one, Bloated, over budgeted, fucking blockbuster movie that's like just dumb, you know. Anyways, that's uh that's Fantastic Four. I think most people understand the the story of Fantastic Four. It's like watching fucking, you know. Batman. Everyone knows Batman's origin story. I don't have to explain that to you. But this movie is basically an origin story of the Fantastic Four, and it's you know, it was it was never released. It's the it was some copies of it were, you know, the story goes is that some some copies of it were probably made by the you know whatever company they got to. Make copies of like like prints of it. Uh, whatever uh, company did that, some people at that company like made a couple of copies for themselves, and then it just got distributed on the underground, and it just ends up at comic book conventions and shit like that. So you can probably still go to conventions today and get copies of the Fantastic Four from 1994, and it's a very low quality. So what if you any copy that you get is probably going to be a copy it's going to be originally on a VHS and then it was a copy of a copy of a copy. And then somebody eventually loaded it on to the internet. So it's a lot like uh, the star Wars holiday special. It's one of those things. It's one of those things you'll see bootlegged and sold as a DVD inside of, I don't know, your finer record stores and, you know, I know that you know when I was living in California I'm I'm sure Amoeba Records has copies of the 1994 Fantastic Four floating around in there that somebody just burned discs of printed up covers for and just made their own little fucking dvds of them and you can probably go there and buy one I know you can get like (laughs) I know you can get all kinds of shit like uh well, you can get the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> you can get uh, the Keep. Was a who's who's in the Keep? I think uh, Jürgen Prochnow was in that. But it's it's basically like this, like demon, like Nazi demon fantasy adventure movie. But it's very dark, and. It was one of those movies that was probably released on VHS. It was played in theaters. But then what people don't understand is a lot of movies just don't make it from before everything was just online and streaming. Like things were made on VHS and Betamax and then DVDs came around. So not every movie that was on VHS and Betamax made it to DVD like a a lot of movies just got left behind. Even before that, like LaserDisc, like there's movies that were on VHS. There was movies that made it to LaserDisc, but that never made it to DVD. So, and even there's things that were on DVD that probably didn't make it to streaming. You know, it's it's there's a lot of movies like that that were sort of just left behind. You know, just forgotten about. And you have companies now that will like like Agfa and Arrow Video and. Companies like that that will find prints of these movies and, you know, digitally restore them and put them out on (laughs) Blu-ray. Like really obscure, cheap, weird fucking movies. You know, they, they didn't allow them to just die in, you know, whatever on VHS or something. Well, what was it? I know like some people collect Laserdisc. I don't, I don't, I haven't even seen anyone who has a working Laserdisc uh, player, but the original star Wars trilogies on Laserdisc, the, and the original star Wars trilogy is like the one that was in theaters when they originally came out the first original trilogy. And then the original star Wars made it to VHS and a couple of versions. But after after that like finding a copy of the original star wars on dvd it's like doesn't exist if you go to disney plus the original versions aren't there it's all the special edition ones so you know it's like this, people just rewrite history of movies it's it's really interesting mm, yeah well let's move on to now we're going to start talking about vaginas. And no, I'm not talking about Stephen Colbert. <laughs> Why did I bring that up? Oh, yeah. Because that guy's a fucking whining pussy. And speaking of pussies, um, the next movie I want to uh, get into here, and it'll be the final movie for this episode of movies that you, the listeners have chose. And that would be 2008 teeth teeth directed by Mitchell Lichtenstein, who is actually the son of Roy Lichtenstein, the famous artist. And, this movie was recommended by listener Gigi. Thank you very much, Gigi. In in researching the film, I uh, also there's uh, I realized that there in the soundtrack there's a song titled "Far Too Long," and it's actually performed by a lady named Gigi Worth. I was like, wow, that's a fun coincidence. Spelled the same way too. So, you know, let, you know what? Let's start with something from the Bible, shall we? Um, As we are told in Deuteronomy 23, 1, A man with crushed or severed genitals may not enter the assembly of the Lord. Hmm. 2008's Teeth. It is, um, it's a story about a young girl named, young teenage girl named Dawn. Dawn is an abstinent Christian teen girl. She lives with her stepdad and stepbrother and her mother. Her stepbrother, Brad, is a disgusting sodomite who only, only, premarital, sputum-moistened anal sex with his girlfriend. This is an important plot point in this film. Uh, he is uh, he's saving his vaginal pen- penetration virginity, let's call it. Um, not for marriage, but for his stepsister Dawn, our main character, who he has he's basically been sprung on his stepsister his entire life. So Brad is also like a a weird creeper dude. He's just, you know, he's got tribal tattoos and piercings and listens to bad metal. You know, you know the types, but for his stepsister, Dawn, Dawn starts to catch feelings for Toby, Toby is a handsome young man in Dawn's circle of purity ring friends. And after an attempted assault and rape in a cave, Dawn's vagina bites off Toby's dick and she escapes. And uh, Toby dies of shock and drowns because trying to swim... After getting your dick bitten off, I'm sure is rather shocking. Later, Dawn Googles, why does my cunt bite off dicks? I mean, she didn't specifically Google that, but that's basically what she Googled. Google tells her, you may have a mythical ailment called vagina dentata, which is Latin for piranha cunt. She then goes to a gynecologist which, for his trouble, gets his fingers bitten off. Four of them. Did, gynec- did gynecologists put four fingers inside you during an examination? Because the thing about this movie, it makes everyone seem, every, every guy seem like a weird, creepy uh, pervert. And... The gynecologist, I'm not sure, like the movie sort of infers that every guy's sort of slimy and pervy, but I don't know if the, the gynecologist was trying to go that route. I don't know. Are four fingers necessary in a vaginal examination? I have no idea, but, uh, yeah, he gets all four of his fingers bitten off by Dawn's vagina. Is there a limit to hand size for that profession to be a gynecologist like if your hands are too small it seems like it doesn't work you can't have your hands can't be too small too big is is too efficient probably right like like is there any you know you know A basketball players who didn't never went pro in the nba and they just became gynecologists you know with Nine-inch index fingers. So Don's vagina bites off his fingers. She freaks out, understandably. And she hurries home to find her mother, Kim, unconscious. 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 Why can't I say that today? What's wrong with my mouth? Unconscious. Unconscious. There it is goes home to find her mother Kim unconscious on the floor while her stepbrother Brad is uh, buttfucking his girlfriend's fart pipe with the door open which is odd when I was a teenager I would raw dog my girlfriend's vagina with the door locked blasting the insane clown posse cover up the sound of my futon sliding across the floor but uh, not in this movie i had uh, decency i had tact anyways uh after all these traumatic experiences that dawn has had and i mean she's all this happens in a very small window of time you know she uh, she goes from being like miss abstinence at 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 school and loving Jesus to making out with a boy in a cave and being sexually assaulted and then bites his dick off with her vagina teeth. You know, her mother gets injured and I don't even remember if they say what the fuck happened to her mom. She was just like, like passed out on the floor. um, You know, she, you know, she, her vagina bit off her gynecologist's fingers, you know, there's, she's gone through a lot in a very small period of time. So Dawn, feeling she has no one to confide in, uh, she confides actually in the character of Ryan and Ryan is this sort of sweet, nerdy teen boy who's sort of awkward, but you can tell he probably has a crush on Dawn but in the world of teeth 99% of all men are rapists so <laughs> even ryan the the one person that she barely knows but can just dump all her problems on and he'll just listen even ryan you know the the non-judgmental shoulder to cry on ends up drugging don <laughs> And Ryan lulls her into a state of a state where she's willing to engage in quote-unquote consensual sex. It's the equivalent of a made-for-lifetime television adaptation of Harry Potter where Ron Weasley, Roofies, and date-rapes Hermione Granger. That's basically the scenario that takes place with Ryan. Um... It's basically the entire movie, really. So, if you're into Harry Potter, and you're into Lifetime movies, this movie is probably for you. But seriously, if you're into, like, Cabin in the Woods, like, you'll probably like this movie. You know, it's got horror elements. It's got some shit that's kind of gross. It's 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 got some funny shit in there, but it's, you know, it's not... Too over the top. You know, it's a fun movie. It's fun to watch. Watch it with a group of people and and smoke some dabs and huff some glue and watch Teeth. You'll have a great time. So, boom, boom, boom. Don's vagina mouth bites off Ryan's pee-pee. Jump to the hospital where Don's stepdad and Brad's girlfriend are and, oh, no. Don's mother has died. Brad's girlfriend explains that while filming her teen anal content for OnlyFans, that the sounds of Don's mother's cries for help were to be ignored. Brad said to ignore the screams of his dying mother collapsed on the floor. Because uh, humping in the butt is way more a pressing issue to Brad. This is why those life alert uh, commercials were so important. Maybe your mother falls down and breaks her hip. And the only other person in earshot is too busy butt-fucking somebody and can't be bothered. But you push her life alert bracelet or necklace or pendant or whatever the fuck those things are. And somebody will come and help you. Help is on the way. They say that in the commercial help is on the way. Anyways, um, Dan, does anyone know what life alert even is? I mean, I'm, I'm a 74 year old man. So, I remember life alert commercials. I'm going to look that up right now gonna look it up in real time. Is that even a company anymore? Life alert. Oh boy. Is this it? Life alert, official website. I've fallen and I can't get up. That was the, that was the big quote from the, uh, Oh my God. (laughs) Do they sell merch? I think I'm going to get a life alert shirt if they have merch. Wow, the Life Alert company is still in business. They have a website. Life Alert, I've fallen and I can't get up. That's a copywritten uh, expression. (laughs) Oh my God, you can get a, a shower button. It's a big red fucking help button that you put in your shower in case you fall in the shower. Wow, they really advanced their products. Help on the go plus GPS. It looks. It looks like a man who's fallen over during a a round of golf, and his little life alert thing has a little GPS, so help can find him. It's like the scene from Falling Down, when uh, Michael Douglas shoots the the mean golfer's golf cart with a shotgun, and one of the guys has a heart attack. If only he had life alert. Personal home protection. It's a photo of a white guy in a very expensive leather motorcycle jacket with a ski mask breaking into a house with a crowbar. That looks accurate. I live alone, but am never alone. I have Life Alert. Oh my god! The that that woman doesn't look. She doesn't look over the age of forty five. It's like a forty five year old woman. Is she in a wheelchair or something? does she need life alert i don't know maybe she has a there there's got to be life alert porn i would imagine some sort of parody of somebody like i imagine granny porn you can get pretty creative with it but at some point someone's gonna be like let's make a let's make a life alert situation where you know you know those uh you know those adult films where somebody gets stuck like the hot milf mom gets stuck in the dryer and her ass is just hanging out or uh she gets stuck in the dishwasher somehow and then her you know hot 21 year old tan stepson with a six-pack uh humps her butt we've all seen those i'm sure there's life alert porn out in there there has to be Dude, they Ooh, better business bureau a plus rated good for you life alert Saving a life from a potential catastrophe every eleven minutes is—is is that true? Does Life Alert saving a life from a potential catastrophe every eleven minutes? That's tricky language, right there. And they put an aster- an asterisk next to that. know, oh, that's weird. Anyways, uh, let's get back to uh, the 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 film. The film Teeth. Let's get back to Teeth. The story about a teenage girl's cunt that eats dicks. Let's get back to that, shall we? Where was I? Oh, yes. So, previously on Teeth, Dawn wants to seek revenge for her stepbrother Brad's unforgivable actions. For neglecting her mother who who has fallen and can't get up, and Brad ignored her screams for for help because he was too busy engaging in premarital unprotected sputum moistened anal sex. So um, Don goes home. And she decides to seduce Brad. So you can see where this is going. She decides to seduce Brad. And of course, uh, Don's pink cigar cutter chomps, chops off Brad's penis and drools it out onto the floor. And his dick has a Prince Albert. So that that's a funny touch. When it spits out his penis, it's, uh, it's got a big, uh, it's got a big, uh, big silver ring pierced through it. And the Prince Albert, not to be confused with the, uh, feminine equivalent of the Princess Diana or the Princess Albertina. You'll have to look up those things. Those are things that exist. Brad, um, Brad uh, commands his uh, attack dog that he keeps in a cage in his room to attack Don. And they set this up. He has he, in in his room it's like pictures of naked chicks on the walls and just metal is playing constantly and there's bongs in the background and and he's got a fucking cage in his room with a fucking like angry Rottweiler in it, <laughs> so Brad commands his attack dog uh, to attack Dawn. Understandably, because she bit his dick off with her vagina. So I can see where Brad's coming from, and instead, the dog does. I mean, he, the dog does not attack Dawn. The dog calmly eats Brad's dick off the floor, ring and all. I think in the making of the movie they had a local like candy shop make the actual like cock ring. And it was made from sugar and it was probably and then it was painted silver. I'm sure it was some sort of edible silver paint of some kind, and then they put it through this little... Who knows what the penis was made out of. The candy company may have also made the penis. Maybe they made it from taffy or... Whatever dogs like to eat. What do dogs like to eat? Cheese? Their own shit? Other dogs' shit? I don't know. But the dog comes over, and and it's actually very cute. This dog that's like this big, snarling, mean dog goes over, and eats it off, eats the dick off the carpet, like a little sweet dog. He's like a sweet puppy. He just, you can tell he's, in, he enjoys it. Like, oh, this is good. So I, that's, that's fun. She then, um, Dawn, that is, she ends up hitchhiking out of town, leaving a trail of, uh, severed dicks in her wake. And that's how the movie ends. The end. That was teeth. <laughs> and, um, that's sort of my crude synopsis of the film. Obviously there's a lot more detail in watching the actual film. And I do recommend that you do that. It is, uh, it's a good movie. It's nothing groundbreaking or anything like that. or it's, but it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun little monster movie, sort of a monster movie, I guess. Well, I'm going to cut it off right there. That was a nice, short, and sweet episode. And I want to leave you now with a joke from the late, great Bob Einstein, or Einstein, but better known to the world as Super Dave Osborne, who passed away in January, January 2nd, Of 2019. And he passed away from cancer. At the age of 76. You may know Super Dave. From the Super Dave television show. From back in the day. He's probably better known nowadays. As Marty Funkhauser. In Curb Your Enthusiasm. Rest in peace. Super Dave Osborne. So here's a joke from. From. Marty Funkhauser from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Jerry, Marty Funkhauser. Hey, Marty, how you doing? How you doing? Good. Want to hear a joke? No, oh, he, does, no, he doesn't want to really. hear a joke. We got a read through. Yeah, we got Let to. me just get right through it. Okay. A woman's very afraid of the size of her opening. What is she afraid of? The size of her opening. So she goes to her mother. She says, what am I going to do? I'm so big down there. When I marry Harry, he's going to divorce me. Her mother says, don't worry, sweetheart. It runs in the family. Do what I did when I married your father. Go to the market, get some raw liver, put it in there. I'll never know the difference. Oh, my God. So she does. They have eight hours of sex after their marriage. She wakes up at 10 o'clock. He's gone, but there's a note on her pillow. It says, my darling Harriet, to think that I waited a year to consummate our love relationship makes my heart beat so loud and I'm surprised it didn't wake you up. The only reason I'm not here now, darling, is I'm at work to make enough money to buy you a house, a picket fence, we'll have dogs and children. Oh, this is not so bad. Oh, yeah, this is great. Will you finish the fucking joke already? When the five o'clock dinner bell rings, I will be home like the winged gossamer of your love in your arms, your loving husband, oh, Harry. that's nice. P.S., your cunt is in the sink. <laughs> this has been the Skeleton Factory Podcast. My name is Adam. And I'm here to rescue your movie night, one movie at a time. And I want to thank again the people who contributed to this episode. Mr. Josh and Miss Gigi and Miss Katie. Thank you very much. And I'd love to do another one of these um, listener picks the movies episode again. I had a good time with it. Until next time, I'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Killer Sofa was decided upon. And it is, in fact, a recliner. But I think Killer Sofa is probably sounds better than Killer Recliner. So, I will say that uh, give even though it has a goofy title, everything in the movie is played totally straight. There's no wacky jokes or anything like that there's there's everything is totally everyone's playing it straight and I commend the film for doing that I was kind of worried it was going to be sort of I don't know like a bad trauma knockoff or something like I thought it was going to be horror like that level of campy and it wasn't so so I, I, I give Killer Sofa props for that. But I remind you, it took me four watches to get through this movie because I was so bored. Um, it's not as boring as The Tragedy of Macbeth. That was a case of a very well-made movie that was just boring very boring also. (laughs) So the, the story to kill the story itself is there's, there's a certain amount of, you know, thought was put into the story. So, I mean, I will give the movie props for that. They, you have to set up a, when you, when you set up a monster in a movie, like a like a Freddy Krueger or the Leprechaun or something like that. You, you have to know, to some extent, the creature's origin. You have to understand how the creature kills and how you could use its powers against the monster to defeat the monster. So, they went to the trouble of doing that and like setting up a backstory for the monster, for the recliner. And I appreciate that because I do watch a lot of horror movies. So, and you know what? I think I'm going to do some more horror movies in the near future. I think there's been a serious deficiency of horror movies on this show. And I'm going to rectify that in the near future. Okay? Deal? Deal. (laughs) Basically, Killer Sofa is about this this thing called a Dybbuk, which is essentially like a spirit that can possess something, like the Exorcist or something like that. Or any of those other movies where people are possessed by things. And.